0: This is the after party live with Kim McAllister and John Daly. Good hey.
1: afternoon, Kim. Hey, John Daly. How's it going hey, on this Friday?
0: Not bad. Uh, this is okay. the last stretch, your final yeah. stretch.
1: This is it. This is it for the big for weekend. Friday.
0: Yeah, you ready um, for it?
1: At what age do you think that you can stop having your kids' pictures taken with them?
0: Um, well, I haven't started, so, <laughs> um, it might be creepy if I take pictures with, uh, with kids Santa. Santa. Yeah. So I, I don't think know. I've ever thought of that.
1: Jacob's nine. I just thought maybe it's, t- he's getting to be too old. I don't know.
0: I think, um, I don't know if I ever successfully had my picture taken with Santa. I know that one year it used to come out in, um, we, we lived in Daly City, funny enough, when I was born. Mm-hmm. And, um. there was a fire truck with a santa on it yeah it came around and i guess people take photos with that with that santa and it scared the crap out of me and i just (laughs) cried and cried and cried and cried and i don't think i ever had a photo of santa
1: no oh no I have some really cute pictures of the kids with Santa, but Julia's 14 now and Jacob's nine. So this might be the last year I kind of make it happen. They always had the the Santa
0: at the Santa Rosa mall and I would just like look at him, and I always thought it was weird.
1: Yeah. I liked Santa. I was, I was 21 sitting on Santa's lap still.
0: Well, that's a whole different thing.
1: (laughs) That's a whole different kind of sitting on his lap. All right. (laughs) We have an, oh, we have an update oh it's evil we threw it of the devil we have a an update on what something we told you about yesterday we talked about this satanic display at the yeah, Iowa State Capitol. a lot of people were upset about that yeah um now an update this satanic altar a total mess it was vandalized And it's almost as if maybe the devil was on someone's shoulder. Maybe an evil deed was carried out. Yes. Do you want to see the news update? There's a a veteran in custody in connection with this destruction of this altar, yes, why not? Let's take a look Let's at take the
0: video. A video. update. Display from the Satanic Temple of Iowa at the State House has been damaged. The Satanic Temple posted this video to Facebook today. It says investigators told them their statue was damaged beyond repair. The display has been up for most of the month. The Satanic Temple of Iowa intended to keep it up until tomorrow. Now this display has drawn a lot of controversy. The governor even called for people to to pray over the Capitol in response to it, this d- display is permitted to be at the State House because of religious freedom.
1: Yeah, I mean, you saw the Christmas tree in the middle there, right? Is is that a religious display? You could argue. And so, if you're going to let one religion, you have it's to get, let pagan. them all in.
0: It's a pagan yeah. symbol.
1: Well, it used to be, and then Christians co-opted the Yeah, so the it's symbols, offensive, right? and
0: it should be torn down. It's blas- well, blasphemous.
1: They do have a, a veteran in custody with the destruction of this satanic altar. Um I I I I'm not surprised because they had gotten a lot of complaints about this thing. So to see someone get so angry that they smash it to smithereens. People are intolerant of other ideas think, or other do thoughts. Do you think
0: they smashed it with their golden rod?
1: <laughs> their their devil rods. Yeah, that's what they did. Uh-huh. And the you know what's the irony here is the whole thing was for religious freedom. You know, and now you have intolerance and you're not supporting freedom.
0: Who's the, the very violent thing that one
1: now, bitches. <laughs> not me. Do you intolerant Christians? Satan, what it. do you what do you do to someone who smashes up your altar? What are you, what's the penalty for that? Oh, I have a few ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! All right. Well, let's move on to the animal kingdom because uh, whatever. I'll be (laughs) standing by. Please, I'm going to need you to come back a little later on. So if you could just just stay a hit with us, step with us. I pretty pretty appreciate that. Let's talk about these bulls that uh, ran onto the train tracks in New Jersey. I guess is that what
0: happened? Yeah, let's check out this news report from the East Coast. All right, now to a developing story out of Newark, New Jersey. A bull, there it is, on the (laughs) loose. Apparently this thing has now been captured after it was spotted running on the New Jersey transit train tracks this morning. First reports started coming in just after 10.30 at Newark Penn uh, Station there.
1: Yeah, our newsroom spent (laughs) uh, considerable time watching this unfold. By 11 o'clock, police say the bull was off the tracks, but at that point had not been caught. We do believe now it has been captured and was transported from the scene in that white trailer. NJ Transit said there were delays of up to 45 minutes between Newark's Penn Station and uh, due to the police activity there in the area. Yeah, people, I think, were told to steer clear.
0: I think that <laughs> no? <laughs> nobody could. <laughs> you can't really. Where did this thing come from is what I want to know. And. <laughs> amazing i think this is the story around. i think it's the story of the day i think it is you were saying it was hoofing it on the uh, track scene. they were gonna have you hoof it up there to <laughs> to cover it. Mm, no
1: steer clear i wonder how long mm. they probably just cackled you know when they came up with that one <laughs>
0: <laughs> could you ever be oh. one of those cheesy news anchors on tv
1: that's uh, right john no but i i have to say i did uh trot out my Trot. my uh my number of yeah got it my number yeah. of puns for traffic related issues over the years so i'm guilty as charged as well
0: uh, but we have another n- we have another highway story chase,
1: yeah, yeah this one is about a chihuahua who led drivers on a chase on a new york highway and we have video this one as well i think john
0: yeah let's check it out we we know it's cute now that we see. Oh, the yeah, now that oh oh, that he's oh. okay. Um, but you know, it kind of is cringy when you see that. That's a little chihuahua who got loose on the Staten Island Expressway. Very scary, tense moments as you see those cars whizzing by, Mike. Well, a
1: lot of drivers did slow down though to make sure that the other fast cars oh, that were trying to pass man. knew what was going on oh, and didn't impact. The bean. So it took about 20 cars to help corral this little guy. And his name is Bean, His name is Bean. His owners say that he was spooked by another dog and then ran away and somehow made it onto the expressway.
0: Uh, And this is also dangerous for everybody because even as you drive by, like, do I slow down? Does that cause an accident? What do I do to make sure that this puppy's little puppy is safe?
1: Yeah, well, so you're probably wondering, okay, so what What? happened to Bean? Well, all the drivers, with their assistance, they were able to get Bean back with his owners safely. My palms are sweaty, Mike. I I mean, I didn't see the
0: story earlier this morning.
1: Yeah, that was a scary moment.
0: That's right. My palms are sweaty.
1: (laughs) (laughs) My dog once was let out of the backyard when we lived in San Francisco on Fell Street. And the house was being painted. And the... I had a, a Siberian husky at that time. Her name was Zoe, such a pretty dog. And she got out and was last seen running down Fell Street headed toward the panhandle. And
0: oh, I don't man. know if you know
1: San Francisco, this is an incredibly busy street. Yeah, and I she's call those the
0: freeway, the freeway streets, the ones that she's are just running time. in and
1: out of traffic. And luckily yeah. someone grabbed her because I didn't realize. Um, I was working the late shift at KGO at the time, and I was sleeping. Someone called and said, your dog is running down Fell Street. They had gotten her my number off of her dog tag. And so there I go in my nightgown running down Fell Street, freaking out trying to get my dog back. And I did, and she was fine. But that was I, those moments where you see your dog in traffic, it's really frightening.
0: Yeah, very, very frightening. Um, yeah. This next story, it's literally in the headline. I've never seen anything like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Japan says reason behind 1,200 tons of fish washing ashore is Whoa. unknown. The sardines. Look at all those fish. Yeah, the wow. sardines and mackerel were found floating on the surface of the sea near the fishing port of uh, Hakodate in Hokkaido. Um, I, I'm not an expert, but didn't they just release like radioactive water into mm-hmm. the ocean? Yep. I'm just saying. I mean,
1: can they test them for that for radioactivity?
0: Officials in Japan have admitted that they're struggling to term determine why hundreds of tons of fish have washed ashore in recent days. Earlier this month, an estimated 1,200 tons of sardines and mackerel were floating on the surface of the sea off the fishing port of Hokade in Hokkaido, uh, Mm -hmm. forming a silver blanket stretching for more than a kilometer. On Wednesday, officials in Nakiri, a town on the Pacific coast, hundreds of miles south of Hokkaido were confronted with 30 to 40 tons of Japanese-scaled sardines or sapa, which have been observed in the area um, for a few days. Local fishers scrambled to collect the fish, fearing that their carcasses would lower the oxygen oxygen content of the water as they decompose and damage the marine environment. Oh, that's interesting. Quote, the fisherman says, I've never seen anything like this before. (laughs)
1: I've never seen anything like this.
0: And he's worked is for spectacular. He's, he's worked as a fisherman for over 25 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was only around last year that we began to catch Sapa in Nakari. Makes me wonder if the marine ecosystem is changing. Experts have speculated that the migratory fish in both areas had become stranded after being chased to the point of exhaustion by amberjack and other predatory fish. Mass mm. mortality events can also occur when there are sudden drops in water temperature causing the fish to go into shock. But no one has been able to confirm the cause. The cause is unknown at the moment, according to a local fisheries official. Uh, we plan to sample the seawater at the site and examine, uh, uncover the cause. Hopefully, it's not radioactive. That's going
1: to be one th- smelly beach, yucko. Yeah,
0: uh, the Japanese government officials have blasted a report in the British newspaper Daily Mail that appeared to link the phenomenon to the release of treated water from the mm-hmm. Fukushima Daiichi nuclear um, power plant. So uh, that's what I was thinking, but you know, uh, here's talk- a, here's, a, here's another photo. Ooh,
1: wow, look at that. Yeah, that's a lot of dead fish. Yikes. Mm. Let's talk about painted doggies. Oh,
0: doggies! Oh, doggies.
1: So, are, I, they kind of look hyena-like to me, but they're painted dogs. Yeah. This zoo in Indiana announcing the birth of three endangered African painted dog pups. The Potawatomi Zoo in South Bend says these pups were born to a mother and father who showed little interest in them. So they brought in a golden retriever who had just given birth to her own puppies to serve as a surrogate mom. And that seems to work. Some of the pup's siblings weren't strong enough to survive, but these three are now 11 weeks old. They are healthy. They're doing well. They don't have names yet but they're being referred to as blue, red, and orange for the time being. Zoo officials say they're building this new enclosure for these pups next to the habitat housing their parents, and apparently the the pups have a sister so that they can observe the other painted dogs in their habitat and their natural behavior and everything else. Interesting-looking dogs.
0: Yeah, they kind of have like like cow feet. Yeah. it's weird. Uh, we are a fair and balanced show. It's not just cat stories. We we do have yeah, cat stories. true.
1: Well. Throw a little dog, a little steer, you know, a little beaver. Sometimes we got it all here on the after a party. beaver. Lo- <laughs> well, you know,
0: small beavers, big beavers. Um, <laughs> moving on, Vladimir yes. Putin, obviously our, uh, mm-hmm. ne- I think the world's nemesis. He was asked a question by what appeared to be an AI-generated deepfake of himself during a Q&A session with the public on Thursday. Putin held his annual phone-in with the Russian public. I love that he has an annual phone-in. What's a yes. phone-in? Yes, caller, you're on the air. Uh, it was combined be careful with his what end
1: questions of... you ask. you yeah, end exactly. up in a Russian We're, prison.
0: Uh, trace that call. It was mm-hmm. combined with his end-of-year news conference. It's a closely followed event, but also a carefully... Orchestrated and curated affair, mm-hmm. you imagine giving Russian citizens a chance to speak directly with the president on a range of issues. Uh, Mr. President, good afternoon. I am a student studying at Saint Petersburg Institute. Do you have a lot of twins? This is the AI. Uh, and at another point, and, and another point, what is your attitude towards the dangers with neural networks and artificial intelligence? The AI questioner asked, according to live NBC News trans, uh, translation. The question was met with laughter uh, from the watching crowd and a brief pause from a stern-looking Putin. This is uh, Putin's response. I see you may resemble me and speak with my voice, (laughs) but I have thought about it and decided that only one person must be like me and speak with my voice, and that will be me. The Kremlin recently dismissed long-standing speculation in the press and on social media that Putin uses a body double at some events. Meanwhile, there's growing concern around the globe. About the use of AI deepfakes to spread misinformation, um, mm-hmm. but I think this is brilliant because the the media, you know, um, uh, uh, the people who put this on, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the moderators, they knew exactly what they were doing. Um, he can't kill, like he can't throw the AI out the window.
1: No, it's right? himself. It's a, yeah, yeah,
0: it's himself. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it is like checkmate. but uh (laughs) i'd be i'd be careful if i were the developers of the ai technology in russia yeah
1: thank thank goodness the ai behaved properly like he may
0: may, uh, preemptively take you out right
1: let's talk about hidden treasure love i love a good treasure story Mm -hmm. metal detectorist finds this very rare ancient gold coin in Norway, but it was more than 1,600 miles away from where it originated. Now, how did that happen? They think this lost coin's once belonged to an early monarch. It was discovered by this person with a metal detector in Slidra, a rural city known for skiing in Norway's south-central inland county. They you call know it, is. of course, absolutely. This coin was first introduced around 960 CE, and it was used as standard Byzantine currency. That means this artifact would have traveled more than 1600 miles from its origin site to the spot where it's found. And they're surprised because they say, look at it. It's held up really well. It appears unchanged from when it was lost, perhaps a thousand years ago. It's just been sitting there waiting. Is that
0: Jesus on the front there?
1: Uh, I'm going with, yes, it looks Jesus-y to me. I think it's the Lord. Hmm. Well, they say that it was likely minted in Constantinople, the Byzantine capital capital that is now uh, modern-day Istanbul. It's decorated on both faces, one side, with an embossed illustration of Christ holding a Bible. There you go. You know you're Jesus. The other side, is this where Satan makes an appearance again? The other side. That's definitely the pe- Jesus. <laughs> the other, you would know. Yeah. The other side appears to depict the former Byzantine emperors Basil II and Constantine the Eighth, according to uh, the news release from Norway. Uh, Two brothers were named co-rulers of the Byzantine Empire toward the end of the ninth century. And knowing that time frame of their reign, that's why they say this coin was probably minted in this time frame, in this era. It has an inscription as well in Latin uh, by the stamp of Christ. It says, Jesus Christ, king of those who reign. The other, written in Greek on the other side of it, says, Basil and Constantine, emperors of the Romans so what a weird and cool find wow
0: very cool yeah um yeah very very cool oh doug what? doug with a five dollar contribution to a super sticker what? thank you doug
1: thank you doug. sent doug. his
0: own gold coin appreciate thank
1: that. you look what we found <laughs> Le- left behind by doug a byzantine five dollars thank you doug much appreciated. You, doug. appreciate it
0: appreciate it yeah yeah, uh, the best places to retire in America. Are you ready for it?
1: I am. I If you're going to tell me California, don't try to put me in some state where they have weird laws and crazy people.
0: Oh, this is, uh, yeah, the top seven U.S. cities most recommended by experts. Mm-hmm. Retirement is a time for new beginnings, a chance to explore interests, pursue passions, and simply savor life's finer things. Right. Um, but with so many options across the country, choosing the best place to retire in the U.S. can be overwhelming. Fear not, future retiree. This guide will navigate you through the top seven contenders. Okay, so these are the things that they want you to consider: climate, cost of living. We're we um, <laughs> Healthcare, taxes, activities and amenities, community, and uh, considering your personality. Number okay. one on the list. Are you ready for it? Okay tampa florida
1: no i'm not going there
0: tampa was ranked the best retirement city based on a combination of affordability activities quality of life and health care i'm sure it's really lovely
1: until the weird criminals come out doing their florida things and then they try to take away my rights and then they're banning books and then no too conservative whatever
0: cam it's really warm <laughs> i can get down
1: Thank you, Satan. I'm sure you could. Tampa, um, Florida. What's number two?
0: Number two is Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Hmm. That's a little, yeah, uh, Many that's a people hear the name Lancaster, Pennsylvania <laughs> and think it's just Amish country. But this city has tons more for you to experience. This hmm. town has everything. With a combination of small-town charm and accessible amenities like Lancaster General Health. Oh, that's exciting. Lancaster consistently ranks as one of the top places to retire, and for good reason. The small Pennsylvania city offers one of the lowest sales taxes in the country and no sales tax or no state taxes on retirement benefits, Mm -hmm. which includes Social Security, 401k, and IRAs. Um, Lancaster offers several things to do for seniors, including the central marketplace, America's oldest continuously running farmers market. Um, And here's a a photo. Mm
1: -mm. I mean, that's pretty. It's pretty.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, number three, Naples, Florida.
1: No, back to Florida again? No.
0: Yeah, but look at that beach. Oh, Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's <is> pretty <laughs> nice. I don't know. There's a lot of sinning going on down here. <laughs> I bet there is Satan. I bet there is.
0: Living in Naples offers residents an urban feel, and most residents uh, own their own homes. Uh, Naples is an ideal place to relax and enjoy your retirement years thanks to its warm, sunny weather, beautiful beaches, and abundance of activities. The city has 80 championship golf courses, if you care about that, 130 tennis courts, Jesus, and miles of scenic beaches for swimming, sunbathing, and water sports. Yeah. Number four, Ann Arbor, Michigan.
1: Okay. It's snowy in Michigan, but that's right where U of M is. Yeah. So that's nice. Just
0: quickly, we'll go through these. Um, Number five, Denver. Denver, Colorado. Right. Uh, it's large enough to support thriving cultural scene. It's actually well known for its high quality nursing homes. Interesting. Oh, okay. Um, but there's a lot of snow, right? Yep. At least during. Is that know, it? Winter. Uh, no, number six, Charleston. Uh, that is that it for Denver.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just want
0: to go through quickly, Charleston. Uh, Charleston's very pretty. North Carolina. Um, yeah. Uh, South Carolina. South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And then number seven, it's Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, No. No, Mm -hmm. I don't think so.
1: Nothing in California made the list, huh?
0: Nope. And
1: Harry, uh, thank you for the $5. Great story, he says. A round of Santa applause, please. Thank you, (laughs) Harry. Absolutely. No Santa applause? Come on. Come on. (laughs) Your next story? Oh, I thought you were still with your list. I didn't know no, that, that was the last number seven. one. Turn the page. Awkward pause. And now we turn the page. All right. Let's talk about China. 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 Let's talk about how they're a nation of tea drinkers, right? I mean, you, the tea, very popular. I have a friend who is uh, Chinese, and she has this beautiful collection of teapots, and she brought me some tea back from China a couple years ago. So good. Well, now... China has more branded coffee shops than the United States. China overtaking the U.S. as the biggest branded coffee shop market in the world. The number of branded coffee shops in the world's second largest economy grew by 58% over the last year to reach nearly 50,000 outlets.
0: Well, they do have 1.4 billion people
1: well they they're supposed to be liking tea more than coffee but here comes all the coffee chains starbucks opened 785 outlets in the country during the last 12 months it is the second largest branded coffee operator by outlets world coffee portal Added uh, as well, Uh, Luckin Coffee for the Chinese startup that became mired in a fraud scandal, Mm. kicked off Wall Street three years ago. That's their biggest coffee chain. So Luckin and Starbucks, they have a lot. More than 90% of 4,000 Chinese coffee shop consumers surveyed drink hot coffee weekly. 64% iced coffee at least once a week. Nearly 90% surveyed a visit or order from a coffee shop at least once a week. So they've become China. The part of this global coffee industry a powerhouse yeah even though they're more they're traditionally more of a tea type of country there you go yeah
0: i'm sure it has to do with the younger generation and probably tiktok TikTok. (laughs) and all the and all the influencers Mm -hmm. um are you a fan of meteor showers i am well you know the geminid meteor shower
1: yeah it was supposed to be big what last night early this morning
0: I think, I think it's uh, it was a couple days ago. Yeah, Wednesday uh, night into th- Thursday morning. Rather, We're a little right? late on the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the Gemini, Gemini meteor shower was expected, to, or it was one of the most expected, I'll <laughs> read this mm-hmm. in past tense. Uh, according to astronomers, the stellar show uh, peaked Wednesday night. It um, hopefully produced up to 150 shooting stars per hour in white, yellow, and green hues. As dramatic as that might be. Here's the what this. This is why I, I put the story in. It can't hold a candle to the meteor, the Leonid meteor shower of 1833, and that's mm. what we we're seeing pictured uh, here um, or drawn here mm-hmm. uh, on that night of November 12th to 13th. So many meteors burned through the Earth's atmosphere that they seemed to turn the night sky into morning. Eyewitnesses wow. claimed the air was filled with brilliant snowflakes, while newspapers dubbed it the shower of stars. In oral histories, Native American tribes referred to it as the night the stars. Fell. It appeared so grand and magnificent as to be truly exhilarating. Joseph Harvey Wagner, Pennsylvania teenager, later recalled mm-hmm. it was a sight never to be forgotten. On wow. the basis of contemporary descriptions, researchers estimate that as many as 240,000 meteors lit up the sky in a nine hour period that night. In one hour, as many as 70,000 shooting stars streaked across the sky. The brightness of the shower ca- uh, caused countless citizens to rise from their somber. In turn, waking up neighbors with loud exclamations of the vivid sight before them. Um, This spectacular scene had another effect on people. Many believed it foretold a disaster of biblical proportions, and that their lives were all but over. (laughs) But they they weren't. And how
1: incredible! What a sight that must have been. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. Years, right? Um. Well, telling your kids, you can do anything apparently not the thing to say. And I say it all the time. I'll say, you can do whatever you put your mind to. If you want to achieve, pick a thing, X, Y, Z, you can do it. It just takes focus and effort. You can do whatever you want to do in life. Well, I guess that's counterproductive. According to this article on CNBC, you can do anything is positive, but it's very generalized. Yeah, according to a psychotherapist who says, I think we need to draw it down to specifics for children and find really practical examples for them. The truth is that actually we do have limitations. And one of the things we have to do in life is work within our limita- limitations. So she says the psycho uh, thera- psychological theory is that there is an understanding of why parents might tell their their children, you can do anything. It'll make you feel like you're creating opportunities in your child's life rather than setting limits on them. People might use this phrase because they really do believe that their little children are little miracles and that indeed they can do anything. Um, But we have to be careful what we say, according to this thought, is that It's very vague. We can cast our children adrift, they say, if we're not careful in some ways. It could be quite a dismissive thing to say, saying you can do anything could be interpreted as I actually can't really quite be bothered to think about what you actually could do or what it might be. The psychotherapist says, I certainly could have done with the help, with the thinking about where my focus was, work it out through a lot of experimentation and errors. But we can help children focus in on their specific gifts. They say it's all about balance. You want to create a realistic expectation and anticipation of the world without making them feel limited. The reality is knowing your limits to some degree isn't about tempering your dreams. It's about helping you concentrate on the ideas and the elements that make a difference to your life positively. And that's true because you can't, I mean, does it make sense to tell a kid that is a really horrible athlete, you know, you can be a star soccer player or you can be a star football player, whatever. No, that's not realistic. Yeah. You got to narrow it down. So they say, step back. Notice what your kids really like. Are they good at physical engagement? Or are they really good at engagement with music, perhaps? Mine are, musical. Are you going to be... Um help young people that love to help other people. Notice their tendencies and their motivations. What makes them happy? And those are the things that you try to promote for them. Sometimes they get caught up in their own safe little world. And to engage in something different, we need to teach them to take a tiny step. So it could be encouraging them to do something like taking a mouthful of food they haven't tried before. But if they do have big dreams, help them understand that achieving those dreams is likely to mean failing along the way. You teach children to aim really high, but you also teach them the realistic expectation of the world around them. So
0: that's why that sounds like a complicated way to say, listen and pay attention to your children.
1: Exactly. Yes, it's true. And never, never say that. Uh, Say almost anything. I could never be a professional dancer because my knees, but I love to dance. Please give kids realistic expectations, writes Lori. I felt like a failure when I couldn't do, quote, anything. So when I oh tell them to pursue their Real ability, says Karen. Yeah. I feel like when you say you can do anything you set your mind to or that you want to, that's going to naturally be the things that they gravitate toward, right? So if you say I can do anything I set my mind to, well, my mind says I want to be a radio anchor in San Francisco. And so... That's where my inclinations lie or that's what, you know, what my goals and dreams are. I'm not going to logically say, really? Well, then I want to be a basketball star in the NBA. That's just not going to work out for me. And then
0: Cumulus said, well, not if there's no more radio station. (laughs) (laughs) No, thank you. Uh, Heather says better
1: to teach them reality now instead of letting them get smacked in the face with it later on. This is so true. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Donald has a good comment. The idea is to get back up after getting smacked.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, I have to change well, my mother my mothering ways on that one. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: it's you have good in, people who say that have good intent, but you know, narrow it down, focus. focus. Well,
1: true, but I mean, I, I guess I would expect my children to know realistically what they want to do and what they don't want to do, what their dreams are, that they wouldn't right, have unrealistic. Dreams. I think
0: that statement kind of yeah. creates pressure. Mm-hmm. You know. Like uh, yep. if, if you grow up and people tell you, oh, you're a genius, you're a genius, you're a genius. You may feel like you'll never, you know, you'll never. Or what if you're told achieve achieve your whole to life you,
1: you could do everything, but then you end up working at a, I don't know, at a grocery store somewhere which is a fine career and you right. know but make now you're feeling like you didn't,
0: you didn't live up to expectations.
1: you didn't live up to your potential right well, you could have done anything and now this isn't anything this isn't the big dreams that everyone hoped for you
0: well yeah, you know who's I, not I living you. up to expectations
1: Mm-mm. boston's
0: Who? mayor michelle wu oh, she no planned... michelle what'd you do she planned a no whites holiday party for oh. counselors and an aide accidentally sent the group email invite meant to be only for electeds of color. That's right. Democratic Mayor of Boston has sparked outrage after inviting city councilors to a holiday party intended only for electeds of color. Michelle Wu's invitation for the December 13th electeds of color holiday party appeared to have been sent out to all councilors in error by her aide, uh, Denise Dos Santos. Dos Santos followed up to the email 15 15 minutes later, apologizing for the invite, clarifying that it was only meant for the city's six councilors of color. The seven white council members were not welcome. (laughs) Wow.
1: That's discriminatory.
0: Uh, Two wrongs do not make a right. I wanted to apologize for my previous email regarding the holiday party for tomorrow. She said, uh, the assistant is a black woman. I did uh, send that to everybody by accident and I apologize in my email that it may have offended or come across as so sorry for any confusion. Um, You know, there was no apology for actually planning to host a racially segregated party. And the mayor is actually doubling down on this. Uh, mm-hmm. After this became, uh, you know, public um, nationally, and uh, I think she's wrong.
1: Yeah, I think that's definitely discriminatory and not right. I mean, I guess it was. I know it was a, a mistake to send out that email, but once you send it out, then you got to open that party to everybody. Right. It's Otherwise, not an event. It's yeah. not an event yeah.
0: um, to like honor specific culture, and even if mm-hmm. it was, it should be open to everybody. Yeah. And the fact that it's a holiday party. And it's only for a specific group based on race. Yeah. yeah. And it's public. It's public people, public officials. No. They did
1: say that they were having other parties that were well, where they would welcome all of the council people, regardless of color. But still, once everybody knows there's a party. the clan
0: is having a meeting too. I'm like, come on.
1: No. No, thank you. So I found this list that surprised me of the best.
0: Did Christmas
1: you check it twice? movies list. <laughs> yeah, no. And for some reason, I can't get the picture to show up. I don't know. Uh, but this is the best Christmas movies of all time list, according to critics. Um, every film on this list has been considered according to the cinematic history and development of Christmas movies. But I think they left out the good ones. Well, they left out all my favorite ones. All right. So it's a list of 25, but I'm going to, and it goes from 25 down to one, but I'll start at the beginning and I'll just read you the top, the top few, okay. the first, the best Christmas movie of all time. They say, number one is called The Apartment. It's a movie from 1960. It has a meta score of 94. I guess, is what they're ranking it. It's starring Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine, a famous romantic comedy centering on extramarital affairs. And this film has an important scene that takes place during a Christmas party. What can you tell us about the scene? That's why it's listed as number one. Number two is Carol. It got a Metascore of 94. And it stars um, Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara. And it's based on a 1952 book called The Price of Salt. It takes place during the Christmas season in the 1950s. So that's why it made the list uh, for the Christmas list. Number three is Little Women. I wouldn't think of this movie as a Christmas movie, but... Uh, It gets a Metascore of 91, the remake of The Little Women in 2019, directed by, by Greta Gerwig, because of its take on a familiar story through the use of cinematography and storytelling. This one, I wouldn't have thought was a Christmas movie. You did but say this
0: was a dumb Christmas movie list.
1: That's why I'm thinking number four is A Wonderful Life. I'll give him that. Yeah. I would have put that on my list. Number five, Miracle on 34th Street. Yep, I would have put that on the list. Number six, Little Women of 1994. Again, not a Christmas movie, I don't mm. think. Number seven, a movie called Tangerine, shot on the, an iPhone and made its premiere at a Sundance film festival.
0: This is a dumb It's list. about
1: a transgender sex worker who discovers her boyfriend has cheated on her with a story as her search for him taking place on Christmas Eve. All right. Number eight, A Christmas Tale. I've never even heard of it. Uh, this was a movie that was made uh, in 2008. And... Uh, It follows a family full of strained relationships. Uh, Catherine Deneuve is the matriarch who has leukemia in the movie. They say it's sharp and funny. I've never seen it. So best Christmas movies of all time.
0: We've never seen anything like that before.
1: Number nine is called Eastern Promises. Never seen it. Christmas movie. Number 10, The Nightmare Before Christmas. I'll give him number 10. Number 11, a movie called Crazy made in 2005. That doesn't seem Christmassy. Number 12, Tuesday After Christmas. Have you seen that?
0: Yeah, but that's not a Christmas movie. That's Tuesday After Christmas.
1: Tuesday After Christmas. Number 13, Christmas Again. I haven't seen it either. Number 14, the movie 2046. Have you seen that? No idea. No, and finally I'll stop with number 15, which is a good one, a Christmas story. So best Christmas movies of all time, according there, I can to get critics.
0: Down with that. Ho ho
1: ho You'll oh, no. shoot your eye out. <laughs> but apparently, let's keep it on the Christmas track for a moment. It turns out that maybe the best way to display a tree is not to chop one down, but to what rent one?
0: yeah growing tradition families are embracing eco-friendly living christmas trees do you like how this one's just floating in front of us uh if you're on the hunt for that perfect christmas tree there's a unique idea sprouting up on the central coast renting a living christmas tree um, from rent sorry pop-up ad rent a living (laughs) christmas tree in carmel experts say artificial or chopped trees can have a heavy carbon footprint that they leave behind right So Mm -hmm. one solution is renting a living tree, which not only checks the eco-friendly box, but also provides a hassle-free holiday season. Monica Hudson, the owner of Rent a Living Christmas Tree, said you can order the tree online. You don't even have to come up uh, here. Sometimes you can pick them out of your online lineup. Forget the one-size-fits-all mentality. Rent a Living Christmas Tree offers a diverse range from Douglas fir, Nordman fir, and deodorant cedar to majestic redwoods, letting families tailor their festive centerpiece. By not having to cut them, they come into your house, they produce oxygen, they remain year after year. They remain year after year. Families can um, grow alongside the same living tree each year. Hudson expressed the sentiment saying, as the tree grows and the kids grow, sometimes they mark it on the doorpost. It becomes a family tradition where they actually name that tree. At that point, why don't you just buy the tree? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well,
1: it's, it's potted though, right?
0: Yeah, it's a potted tree, so it's, yeah, it's not that big. Yeah.
1: Huh. Right? Interesting. Um
0: yeah, I'll pass.
1: Mm, I don't know. Um, this is a cool story. <laughs> There's a class of kids, they're in high school, they're in science class, and they're told that they have to crack open this rock in class. Well, one kid cracks open his rock at the Keough Senior High School, and apparently inside the rock is this has happened in japan um they find this species of insect that have ne- has never been seen before it's never seen anything like this yeah the fish this are dying the on the
0: coast and they're discovering uh, these insects
1: this student uh, during sci- science class at um the rock had been provided by Kenosha Fossils Museum is part of an educational initiative to bring geology and paleontology into the classroom. So the student named Kota Yatagai, he cracks open his rock and inside are the fossilized remains of a large scarab beetle, according to the study published in the journal Paleontological Research in November. His teacher recognized the importance of the find and gave the fossil to the study's co-authors. They looked at it and they said it's a new species of an extinct animal, the Ceratopheus yatagai or Yatagai's scarab beetle. It's large. It's about an inch in length. The fossil was split in half, but nearly completely preserved. The beetle was likely an earth-boring insect that fed on the feces of other animals. Well, I wouldn't
0: call it a new species.
1: It was a new species of... uh, yeah, newly discovered. Researchers <laughs> say they named the new species after the student who discovered it, which is kind of cool. Um, it was identified by its teeth and other subtle physical uh, features. And it's cool. The Finding the fossil of this extinct beetle in Japan suggests these insects lived in that region about 300,000 years ago. So what a day in science class for that kid. Pretty cool.
0: Very cool. Uh, we have been remiss in taking our break, so oh we no. need to take our break. And we'll Let's be back right on the other side, on the After Party Live. The After Party Live is underwritten by our audience, and without you, this show wouldn't be possible. If you can contribute 10 15 or $20 a month, it would keep this party a-rockin'. The PayPal link can be found in the About section of the YouTube channel or at the bottom of the show description. Any dollar amount is appreciated, and it all adds up. On behalf of Kim and myself, thank you for your consideration. Aloha, bitches. It's the After Party Live.
1: Huge, huge thank you to Doug for the $5 super sticker. Thank you for always supporting the show, Doug Koch. And Harry with a $5 super sticker as well. And your funny jokes always bringing us some smiles. Also, thank you to our ongoing contributors, Sarah K and Laura W. You guys, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy Hanukkah. And thank you for supporting me. This is a crowdfunded
0: show. Uh, We're not bringing in mega mega bucks. Uh, We don't have a huge audience, Mm -hmm. uh, but we have a lot of heart. And we think we can. We think we can. <laughs> we have A we lot of heart.
1: That's yeah. right. Um, All right. Let's let's go to space. Take me to space.
0: Yeah, let's go to space. Um, this is I found this to be somewhat interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Amazon's sending up these satellites for um, internet and uh, for to create an internet network. Right. So they're, they're they're the Kuiper satellites. Now, what they're revealing is that they're using lasers to link, so I don't know if this is just cool or it's kind of scary. It's me, Jewish like, space but... lasers? Is that what oh, they're no, using? Oh, no, not Jewish space lasers. Oh. Let's not let's not go there. No. Um, no, Amazon will include a key speed-boosting technology in its coming project, um, Kuiper Internet Satellites. The company announced on Thursday, Amazon said it's tested the laser link tech uh, successfully during its recent pr- uh, protoflight mission. Traditionally, satellites are limited to sending data between individual spacecraft and the ground. Uh, laser links connect the satellites to each other. So they have optical inter-satellite links known as OISLs, and they serve as a way to transmit data throughout space. Laser links are a feature that Elon Musk's SpaceX began introducing in later generations of its Starlink satellites. The links help improve both the latency and speed of the networks. With optical inter-satellite links across the satellite constellation, Project uh, Kuiper will effectively operate as a mesh network in space. Um, So you'll have a better reception than you have with your Wi-Fi here on Earth. Uh, Amazon, Amazon's pair of Kuiper prototype satellites completed multiple successful laser link demonstrations, according to the company. Uh, Here's another. uh, You you can see here how they each satellite would talk to the other satellite uh, with a laser. And they maintain links that transferred up to 100 gigabytes per second over a distance of nearly 621 miles between the spacecraft. Mm. Uh, Because light travels faster in space than it does through glass, the orbital laser mesh network will be able to move data approximately 30% faster than it, um, if it had traveled the equivalent distance via a terrestrial fiber optic cable. Hmm. Um, so that's pretty cool.
1: That is pretty cool. Um, something not so cool, they found a new spider. Oh. It's an eight-eyed creature with a personality like Satan. Boom. It was discovered as a new species in Ecuador in the mountains, an eight eyed creature with bad temperament. Mm -hmm. Scientists encountered this hairy animal. They discovered its bristly personality and a new species in the forests of Ecuador in 2021. They went in search of tree dwelling spiders, And they found one hairy spider inside of a bamboo fence. The spider tried to defend itself, and then it tried to flee, making a quick, sporadic movement nearly too fast to even see. But it didn't work. Researchers captured the spider. They took it to a research lab. They found three similar-looking spiders in archive collections. And taking a closer look, realized... They discovered a brand new species of spider. They're calling oh, yeah, it they did. <laughs> they're calling it Salmopius Satanus or Oh yeah. it s- out the Satan tarantula. Yeah, the baby. Satan tarantula can reach just under two inches in length. It has eight eyes, eight legs, covered in golden hair and long fringe on its face. Oh sh- photoshop <laughs> Photos show the new species has a dark brown body. It almost looks like it's wearing fringed leg warmers. It does, very fringy legs. Um, They say thousands of new species are found every year. And this is another one of them. Researchers say they grew very fond of Satan's tarantula. In spite of its bad temperament and sporadic attacks, the personality earned it the nickname Satanus. The nickname stuck inspired the name of the new species satan's tarantula um it had it just has this awful awful attitude so Mm -hmm.
0: well you know we all have our bad days that's what we needed in
1: the world satan's tarantula that's what i want to run into kathleen
0: bryant with a 10 dollars super sticker (laughs) thank you you so much we appreciate that Heather Kennedy. Heather. With the $10 super sticker. Even though today is my birthday, I'll give you guys a present. Merry Heather Miss. Happy, happy birthday, To you
1: too, Heather. Do we have the balloon background? Do we still have that? For some reason, oh. I can't click on any pictures. Happy, happy birthday. Ha- Merry Heather Miss to you. That's Everybody awesome. Has. Happy birthday, Heather. Thank you there for remembering you. us on your birthday. Generous and kind of you. We're celebrating over here. Party and for Heather.
0: where $5. Oh, well, if Heather's wow. giving, I better too. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you, you
1: BAWare. We appreciate that. What a nice thing. There's a little festival of giving right there, a little festivus w- happening.
0: Well, we'll celebrate Heather's birthday mm-hmm. uh, with this next story. And I think you'll appreciate it. Mm-hmm. A surprising number of men, women open to multiple partners or spouses. What? That's right. So much for monogamy. New study of (laughs) researchers in UK uh, reveals that a third of men and one in 10 women are open to having more than one romantic partner at the same time. Oh, wait a minute. At
1: the same time,
0: like in the the same room? Well. Not, or, you know, like, having them
1: con- concurrently?
0: Concurrent. Like not, okay. Not, but, I mean, <laughs> you know, if your partner's open to it. The study, which involved 393 heterosexual men and women, uncovered varying levels of openness, uh, in quotes, to, uh-huh. their, uh, to these arrangements, approximately 33% of men surveyed in the UK expressed a willingness to consider the idea of having more than one wife or long-term girlfriend in a committed partnership if it were legal and consensual. In contrast, mm. only 11% of women indicated a similar openness to the concept of poly, uh, polyamorous uh, marriage or polygamous marriage, I guess. Um, I find that number a little high. The research explored individuals' perceptions of committed partnerships in which they either shared their partner with others or shared themselves. The team examined two specific relationship models, uh, polygyny, where a man has multiple wives, and polyandry, where a woman has multiple husbands. Hmm. Uh, The study revealed that 9% of men surveyed were willing to share a partner while only 5% of women expressed interest in such an arrangement who um, even
1: wants that? I mean, I already have a hard enough time cleaning up to, after the one husband I have. You now, you want me to add extra underwear on the floor to pick up?
0: <laughs> really? Or maybe the other partner will take the underwear.
1: <laughs> something, something needs to happen.
0: Yeah, okay, say- well
1: that's interesting.
0: Committed non-monogamy has received a lot of attention recently. It's a hot trend with more and more couples talking about opening up their relationships to include other people, according to Dr. Thomas. And he knows what he's talking about. However, these types of relationships are far from new. Uh, yeah, what do you think?
1: Um, I, I mean, whatever floats your boat, more power to you. Uh, you always hear, though, and maybe I, tell me I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But it seems to me that I've often heard that people that think that this is going to strengthen their relationship right. or that se- they all it seems like it always ends poorly. That, you know, you think you can open your relationship to other people or you think you can have an open relationship and then somebody falls in love with somebody else or somebody instead of strengthening. Yeah, it, it doesn't seem to end up working out in the in favor of the two people that were originally in the relationship. So I don't know. But hey, I don't want to restrict anybody's fun times as long as it's consensual. Go get it well, done.
0: Speaking of fun times, this next story is uh, yeah, right up your this alley.
1: Only squatter, OnlyFans squatter, allegedly. Only, only squatters, a, only squatter, and only fans squatter, installed a stripper pole and trashed a nine hundred thousand dollar house, allegedly. The Seattle Police Department had to go into this house and remove two squatters. One of them identified as an OnlyFans influencer who had put in a stripper pole into this $900,000 house while forging a lease agreement. It's been a stressful situation, according to the landlord. Uh, what
0: you have for the a situation.
1: Yeah. She said, I feel emotionally relieved, not that we got the squatters out, but we're also making this neighborhood safe again. The couple is gone. They left behind clothes, a half eaten cake, and a stripper pole. They <laughs> say, I don't know. Happy birthday, other happy birthday, Heather. I don't know if she was planning on creating uh, content here or what she was doing, but it's scary to think what they were using this housing unit for, uh, according to the landlord. It was a real estate nightmare. Apparently, this woman entered, these this couple entered a vacant unit, changed the locks, and just took over. The couple said they were doing some plumbing and electrical work. So, yeah, I bet they were uh,
0: doing some plumbing work.
1: that led them to believe that the owner to believe they were destroying this property. So she confronted them. They refused to leave. She went to meet the squatters and saw they had ripped out the carpets, taken out the door trim. God knows what else. That sounds like a movie,
0: Meet the Squatters.
1: Meet the Squatters. In this case, that'd be a good movie on this one. They claim they signed a lease. And when the landlord tried to get law enforcement involved, they informed her it was a civil matter and that she would have to get an attorney. What a nightmare. We
0: don't handle uh, stripper pole cases.
1: No, but they left the stripper pole behind. So, you know. Do a little practicing. I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, if you want That's to do some practicing, <laughs> I've got another stripper story for you. Are you ready for this?
1: Heather, haha, ha yes. Let's party. Bring it on. This is Eric St- Kellogg seated here.
0: Yeah, this is uh, the mayor, uh, former mayor here. Um, stripper, uh, strip club paid mayor thousands monthly to stay open and run prostitution, according to federal officials. Two Illinois men have been convicted in a strip club exploitation case. Oh, that's tough on the strip clubs being exploited. the 70 year old man was convicted of theft and intimidation charges, and then the 68 year old man pled guilty to theft uh, uh, pleaded guilty to theft. Mm-hmm. according to the. US. Attorney's Office for the Northern District of Illinois. McClatchy News reached out to the attorneys for both men. The attorney for the 70 year old uh, man did not wish to comment. Uh, The attorney for the 68-year-old man did not immediately respond. Evidence showed that the two conspired to regularly demand and collect payments from a Harvey strip club based on threats that if the city of Harvey would potentially interfere with the club's operations if the payments were not made. The two men collected thousands of dollars from the strip club every month and handed the money over to the mayor, according to court records. The mayor was the brother of the 70-year-old man. Uh, They have another brother who was a city police officer, according to court documents. Wow. Wow. In in 2003, the mayor approached the owner of the strip club and demanded the owner pay $3,000 a month. In exchange, the city would not interfere with the strip club, allowing prostitution out of the business. For the next five years, the strip club owner paid the mayor $3,000 a month, according to court records. Sometime between 2007 and 2008, the mayor ordered the club owner to increase the payments to $6,000 a month. When the owner refused to do so, a city police officer came to the strip club and shut it down. The owner... Uh, what do you want to bet that was the uh, the brother or the owner reopened the club it was shut down again. the owner reopened it and the officer came back and shut it down a third time telling the manager tell your boss just pay the man according to court records finally the owner agreed to the six thousand dollar monthly payments when the owner died in 2008 the owner's child took over the business at this point the manager made the monthly payments to the sixty year old 68 year old man and then he delivered the payments to the mayor. Um, the payments went on through 2018. Investigators at one point tapped both men's phones and were able to listen in on conversations between them. They also said that the, they had recordings of the conversations between the club manager and the 68-year-old man. And um, in 2017, the club manager began to work with authorities. At the direction of law enforcement, the manager continued to make the payments, uh, paying them $37,000 between 2017 Whoa. and 2018. Uh, officials said the 70-year-old, uh, 71-year-old man directed and supervised the 68-year-old man in the payment collections. Uh, this 71-year-old man was convicted of five counts, including conspiracy to commit theft and intimidation, and causing the use of facilities, uh, causing the use of facilities in mm-hmm. interstate commerce to promote theft and intimidation. Both are awaiting sentencing. Uh, the 68-year-old man pleaded guilty to theft. Uh, well, the then in- mayor was not charged in the case.
1: It's interesting awesome. how everybody wants their piece of action when it comes to the strip club, but you know who probably doesn't get enough. The stripper.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm just saying, all these men are lining up. They want their money. Mm hmm. I've yep. uh, been late to the party all week. Missed the chat. Well, welcome, Pamela Kirby, and thank you for <laughs> thank your you super, want. super chat. We appreciate that so much. Thank what you. a nice thing. Here that. is a story of survival. This is absolutely wild. There was a tornado in Tennessee and it hit a trailer. Inside as they, the trailer, as they are want to do right inside a trailer. Lived a family of four a mom, a dad, a little baby, and a one year old. The four month old baby was sucked up into the air along Ooh. with the father. Uh, he apparently this tornado hit their home in Clarks- Clarksville, Tennessee on Saturday, ripped the roof right off the trailer, lifted the bassinet with this four-month-old boy inside. So the baby's father tries to grab onto the bassinet, but was spun up into the twister as well. The mom said he was just holding on to the bassinet the whole time. They went in circles. Then they got thrown. So at the same time, in another room, the mom jumps on top of the one-year-old. She grabs the child right as the walls collapsed on this trailer. They managed to crawl outside. They were um, crushed under the trailer, but again, they did manage to get out. The search for the younger son went on for about 10 minutes, but eventually they found him lying in a fallen tree in the pouring rain. Whoa. The mom said, I was pretty sure he was dead. I was pretty sure we weren't going to find him, but he's here. And that, she said, is by the grace of God. All these family members survived with even the baby with cuts and bruises, but their home and belongings were a total loss. Um, three people in Clarksville weren't so lucky. They were killed by the string of uh, tornado producing storms on Saturday. But this family, again, a tale of survival, the dad and the baby and the bassinet thrown into the air, landing in a t- fallen tree and still managing to to come out of this thing with life intact. Know,
0: when people say California is expensive, it's like, I don't mm. want to live anywhere where this could happen at any any time, any point. Tornadoes. Yeah, yeah. scary. Jenny T with the $10 super sticker. What up, Jenny, Jenny T. T? What up? Is that Barbie in her picture? It's, I think, a barbified image
1: oh it's very cute like a filter i like it jenny t thank you for the super sticker really nice thank you
0: very cool yeah um do you want to do one more
1: you want me to do it
0: no i said you want to do it it? yeah
1: yeah yeah let's do one more we have to to give giving a little extra it's heather's birthday so we're just gonna
0: that is that is it is heather's birthday Mm -hmm. so let me uh click a couple things my computer's kind of going well, This is
1: this is a story about this man and his daughter, who were fishing on Lake Michigan, and they thought that their sonar detected an octopus, but it turns out to be Wrong. something completely different. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, it turned out to be likely a 1871 uh, shipwreck. Wisconsin archaeologists are crediting a man and his daughter with discovering the remains of what could be a ship that ran aground during the deadly. Peshtigo fire more than 150 years ago. Tim Wallach and his six-year-old daughter, Henley of Peshtigo, were fishing on Lake Michigan in the Bay of Green... uh, in the Bay of Green Bay or Green Bay... uh, (laughs) near Green Island in August when their sonar picked up something Henley thought was an octopus. Wallach posted photos of the sonar images on Facebook, which eventually drew the attention of this uh, Wisconsin Historical Society. The Society posted a note on Monday, on Facebook saying that the underwater remote vehicle surveyed the site on December 4th and confirmed the object was the wreck of a three-masted sailing ship submerged in eight to 10 feet of water. Um, well, that's um, not that far down.
1: No. Interesting. What a it's find.
0: Su- surprising that it took that long to find a ship submerged in eight to 10 feet of water. And it was what, from 1871, you said? Yeah, they believe it's, um, it mm-hmm. may be the 122 foot long George L. Newman uh, ship on the evening of October 8th, 1871, um, the ship was sailing through a thick smoke from the uh, Great Pristigo Fire, the deadliest fire in U.S. history. Oh, really? With cargo um, of lumber from Little Suamico, when it grounded on the southeast point of Green Island, uh, the keeper of the island's lighthouse rescued the crew, according to the Historical Society. But the ship was abandoned and eventually covered with sand and forgotten. Um wow. The Historical Society plans to survey the wreck again in the spring of 2024 and may push it uh, and may push to list the site on the National Register of Historic Places. Um, so that's pretty cool.
1: Very cool. Shall we do another one? What about mini volcanoes?
0: Mini volcanoes, tell me more.
1: Yeah, mysterious mini volcanoes are appearing in Texas. Y'all can go to hell. I'm going back to Texas. Yeehaw. <laughs> but are they really mini volcanoes? Hmm maybe not. A ghost sea creature is the culprit on this one. Uh, This is a mysterious appearance of small mounds. They're popping up in the sand across a Texas beach, Quintana Beach County Park. It's about 70 miles south of Houston. So they, they call them mini volcanoes. They posted a video of these odd small lumps of sand across the beach. They say we're experiencing extremely low tide and ghost shrimp are creating mini volcanoes all over the beach. Yes, ghost shrimp can burrow down about 14 feet, and they're only around three to four inches, the translucent crustaceans, an essential part of the intertidal ecosystem because they drive oxygen into the sand as they burrow, and that helps organic matter decompose, enriching the sediment, providing food and more creatures, so it's a nice big circle. They're calling the ghost shrimp uh, more kind of closely related to crabs, four different species inhabit the Gulf of Mexico, and beachgoers are allowed to collect up to twenty of them a day to munch on, I guess. But yeah, they're um, they're often used by bait as fishermen as well. Despite their small size, they can live for up to six days without any oxygen at all, and they're I guess famous for creating these little mini volcanoes.
0: Very very yeah. cool. Uh, we have a lot of people to thank for their contributions today, so I want to go over them again. Uh, okay. Doug with $5. Thank you, Doug. Oh, what it is. That. Thank you so much. Harry with $5. Harry! We appreciate
1: that. Nice, uh, thank you. Kathleen
0: Bryant with $10.
1: Yay, Kathleen!
0: Heather with $10. Birthday, birthday
1: birthday. Hey, our birthday, birthday. It's her birthday. Happy birthday, birthday, Heather.
0: Happy birthday, uh, Heather. BA Ware with uh, $5. There it is. That. Heather's Very birthday. Again.
1: Woo! We get the balloons.
0: BAware, Be Pamela, aware.
1: Thank you. Be aware.
0: Uh, we appreciate that. Pamela Kirby with uh, $10. Pamela.
1: And
0: Je- Jenny T with $10. Jenny Thank T. you all so what much. Up? And then we, of course, have our ongoing contributors, yeah. Sarah K and Laura W. And that brings us to the end of the after party for Friday. That's
1: it? That's all we get? Wow. Well, I'm happy to say happy birthday to Heather, um, and a huge thanks to Satan for making another appearance on the After Party Live. No problem. I'm here anytime (laughs) you need me, Kimmy. I've been telling you that your whole life, I'm available. I do (laughs) parties, too, you know. Thank you, you guys, for being here. Have the very, very best weekend. We'll see you next week. Uh, We'll be here with a whole other shows on the after party live have a good day everybody bye have a great afternoon everyone stay warm
0: (laughs) the after party live is underwritten by our audience and without you (laughs) the after party live would like to thank the following contributors and viewers like you